I've glorified you on the earth. I've finished the work which you have given me to do. And now, O Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. Even though Jesus prayed these words hours before stripes were laid upon his back, before a crown of thorn was beaten upon his head, before the nails were driven into his hands and feet, Jesus referred to the work of the cross as if it had already been accomplished. He was not going to turn away from the mission that the Lord had given him to do. Welcome to The Cleansing Word. We invite you to stay with us as Pastor John Pinnell of Calvary Chapel Lake Villa takes us through a verse-by-verse study from God's Word. Each Monday through Friday, we'll be airing messages to encourage you in your faith that you might grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I hope that you enjoy this broadcast and I'll return at the close of this teaching to give you more information about our church and how you can obtain a copy of this message. Now here's Pastor John with today's message from God's Word. Today we're looking at John chapter 17, looking at the Lord's great priestly prayer. I titled this, Behold His Glory. It naturally breaks into three parts, verses 1 through 5, the Son prays to His Father, verses 6 through 19, the Son prays for His disciples, and verses 20 through 26, the Son prays for all believers. Let's go ahead and look at those first five verses and open in prayer. Jesus spoke these words, lifted up His eyes to heaven, and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify Your Son, that your Son also may be glorified in you, as you have given him authority over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. And now, O Father, Glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. Father, we pray that you would be with us as we just look at this passage, Lord, from John 17. It truly is, Lord, holy ground, thinking that we get a glimpse of our Savior's prayer life as he prays of himself to his Father, as he prays about his disciples and also as he prays for us, those who would believe. Father, I pray that you would just bless us as we look into these words this morning. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. He begins by uh, saying a prayer of himself to his Father. It tells us in verses 1 through 3 that he lifted up his eyes to heaven, so we know the direction 
of the Father as Jesus lifted up his eyes to heaven. And he prayed, Father, the hour had come. And John has made this final reference here to the hour of Jesus, that it has finally come. And I've mentioned in previous studies that John referred to the hour of Jesus some ten times throughout his gospel. And oftentimes it was by saying the hour had not yet come. Some occasion would take place where they would try to take Jesus to put him to death and Jesus would slip away from the crowd because the hour or the time had not yet come. But as we come into John chapter 12, there is a change as he makes his way to Jerusalem for that final journey where John tells us that the hour had come and Jesus now acknowledging that in this prayer that the hour has come and he says, glorify your son also that you may be glorified. You know that through the cross, God glorified his son. He died there on the cross for the sins of the world and Jesus's work upon the cross. It also glorified his father because Jesus through the cross showed that he was totally obedient to the will of God. In John 13, 31 and 32, he says, so when he had gone out, Jesus said, now the son of man is glorified and God is glorified in him. And if God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him immediately. Now, that's a lot of glorifies going back and forth there. But as Jesus going out of the upper room, as he makes his way to the Garden of Gethsemane with his disciples. And as we've learned over the last few weeks, he taught them in the final discourse from John chapter 14 through chapter 16. And it's concerning the glory of Jesus, but also the glory of God himself. Now, God had given to Jesus, he's given Jesus authority over all flesh. And most importantly, Jesus had, he has the authority to give eternal life to all whom the Father has given to him. And Jesus, he explains the meaning of this eternal life. He says, this is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Eternal life is knowing God the Father and knowing Jesus Christ, his Son. This Greek word for know is a word gnosko in the Greek, and it means to have a, a personal knowledge. It has this sense of an intimate relationship. And for those of us who are married here, we know that Every one of us might know one another in this church, but with our spouses, we have that deeper, that intimate relationship. There's a, a greater knowledge between a husband and his wife. And this Greek word has that sense to it, to have this personal, intimate relationship with another. And this knowledge combined with faith, it leads to eternal life with God the Father and through his son, Jesus Christ. You cannot have it any other way. And there are those who try to say that there are many ways to heaven and that you can get to God in some other means than Jesus. But Jesus himself rejects that teaching that's in our world to this day. Through him, he is the only way to the father. But notice in verses four and five that Jesus speaks of his work 
as already being finished. He talks about the hour coming, and now he speaks of the work being finished. He says, I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. And now, O Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. Even though Jesus prayed these words hours before stripes were laid upon his back, before a crown of thorn was beaten upon his head, before the nails were driven into his hands and feet, Jesus referred to the work of the cross as if it had already been accomplished. He was not going to turn away from the mission that the Lord had given him to do. To glorify the Father meant that Jesus had to go to the cross to be obedient to the call of God upon his own life, to do the work that God had called him to do. And here we find in verses 4 and 5 of John 17 that Jesus had glorified God on the earth and that Jesus had finished the work even though technically he hadn't went to the cross yet. It was already accomplished in Jesus' mind. He knew what the final outcome would be. Jesus accomplished all that the Father had sent him to do. And thus it brought glory to the Father. And therefore, Jesus, he closes this portion of this prayer, desiring to return to his former glory. He said, before the world was, that the Lord was with God the Father before the world was. That when the Bible tells us in Genesis, in the first chapter, that God created the heavens and the earth and all that is in it, that God himself, God the Son and God the Holy Spirit, that they were all there before this world ever existed. But also Paul writes in Philippians 2, 5 through 11, saying, let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking on the form of a bondservant, coming in the likeness of men, and being found in the appearance of as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore God also highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in the heaven and those on the earth and those under the earth, that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. His prayer to the Father was to glorify your Son, just as I have glorified you on the earth. And it was through the work of Jesus Christ and the work of his death, burial, and resurrection there from the cross, his ascension to the Father, that he did glorify the Father and that the Father did glorify him. And it's the finished work of Jesus upon the cross that brought glory to the Godhead and can also bring us everlasting life. But Jesus didn't merely pray for himself. In fact, the majority of his prayer was for his disciples, those who had walked with him, the 11 that had been with him. Of course, we know that Judas was at this point not part of the group any longer. And so he prays for his disciples. 
And we look at verses 6 through 8 that they had believed and received. He said in verse 6, I have manifested your name to the men to whom you have given me out of the world. They were yours and you gave them to me and they have kept your word. Now they have known that all things which you have given me are from you. For I have given to them the words which you have given me. And they have received them and have known surely that I came forth from you and that they have believed that you sent me. The Lord Jesus in this verse, he said, I have manifested your name to the men who you have given to me. It's a Greek word that refers to to make apparent or to make clear, to reveal. And Jesus had made God's name clear. He revealed God's name to his disciples. In John 17, 6, it tells us that he did this, but also he revealed God's work to the disciples as well. As it says in John 9, 3, Jesus answered, neither this man nor his parents sin, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. That God revealed, he made apparent or made clear the words, the name, and the works of God the Father. The disciples here, it tells us from the get-go that they belonged to God. He said, I have manifested your name to the men whom you have given me out of the world. They were yours. Do you know that whether someone believes in God or not, they belong to God? By right of creation, all the world belongs to God the Father. We just read that in our psalm today. I, I didn't realize when I had this in my message that we were going to be reading this actual portion of Psalm 119, that in Psalm 119, verses 89 through 91, just to summarize it, the psalmist wrote about God's word being settled in heaven, that God's faithfulness is to all generations, and God's establishment of the earth it continues to exist to this day. And then he adds in verse Psalm 119, 91, for all are your servants. All are your servants. Whether they believe in God or not, all are the servants of God. It tells us that even non-believers, and we read about this, especially in the Old Testament, and some of the unbelieving kings and the actions that they did whether it was in favor of Israel or against Israel, oftentimes they were acting in obedience to the word of God that had been prophesied over them. All are your servants. The disciples belonged to God and God gave them to Jesus. And perhaps this is simply a, a reference of God's election over our lives. Jesus gave them the very word of God and it tells us that they received his word and they kept his word. There's something about uh, a little different of hearing a word. I mean, you can hear a, a message being preached and then you can go about your merry way and not keep the word that you've heard. Or you can hear a message being preached from the word of God and it can penetrate your heart. Uh, this coming Tuesday, uh, Pastors Appreciation Month, the Gideons are hosting a lunch for area pastors. And I was thinking about that during worship because I remember, 
And though this does not happen like this any longer in our schools today, but I remember in fifth grade, the Gideons coming and presenting the fifth graders with New Testament Bibles. I was going to look for it. I think I probably still have it in my house some nearly 50 years ago. This little Bible that was given to me, still hanging on to it. Now, I was a believer in fifth grade. I thought it was neat then. It doesn't happen today like that because the way our school system set up today, they're against the word of God. They don't allow people from the outside to come in to present free Bibles. But the Gideons have learned how to work around that. So they stand on the public sidewalk in front of the school and they offer Bibles. And I was talking with one of the Gideons who visited about a month and a half ago uh, during the week here. And he said, you would be surprised how many youth actually take the Bibles when we offer them. He said, some just walk by and don't pay any attention to us. But Many of them received the Bible, and so they found a way. They can't get inside the schools anymore. They can't give Bibles to every student, but they can uh, still stand upon their constitutional right and stand on a public sidewalk and, and hand out the Word of God to those who would want to receive it. But I think it's so important that it's not just receiving the Word, it's keeping the Word. Now, I'm pretty sure that I, I have a hard time throwing Bibles away. I'll tell you this. I have a collection of them at my house because even though I don't use them any longer, I am not throwing them in the trash. It's God's word. And hopefully my grandkids or great grandkids, if the Lord should tarry, will receive some of those Bibles from us as we pass on from this earth. But it's not just keeping a book. A lot of people keep the book and never open the book. It's keeping what is within the book, keeping God's word. They received the word of God and they kept it. It really means that they operated their lives according to the word of God. First Peter 1.5 says, Therefore, they became those who were kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Not only did they receive God's word and keep God's word, but they became the people who were kept by the power of God through faith for salvation. By receiving the word of God and keeping it in our hearts, uh, we become those who are kept by God himself. The word tells us here in our text that they received and kept. May I refer back to our church motto that begins with the two words of believing and receiving. And I would say that they believed Hebrews eleven six it says, without faith, it is impossible to please him. For those who come to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. But also they have to receive. So first and foremost, you have to believe that God is. But also you have to receive Jesus as your savior. In Romans five seventeen, if by one man's offense, death reigned through the one, much more those who receive abundance of grace of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. And they were kept by God's name. In verses 9 through 12, let's go ahead and, and pick up verse 9. I pray for them. I do not pray for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. And all mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. 
Now, I am no longer in the world, but these are in the world. And I come to you, Holy Father, keep through your name those whom you have given me, that they may be one as we are one. Verse 12, while I was with them in the world, I kept them in your name. Those whom you gave to me, I have kept, and none of them have been lost except the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. They were kept in God's name. As the son prayed for his disciples, the eleven, he distinguishes them from the rest of the world. Jesus mentions the world in this prayer some 19 times. He refers to the world and it basically he makes this clear distinction between believers and unbelievers. The word tells us in Romans 12 2, and this is I believe something the church needs to hear today once again, because in the church, the big C, the universal church throughout the world, we're having a hard time distinguishing uh, believers from unbelievers within the very church doors. And Paul said in Romans 12, 2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of our minds. And Jesus went on to say, I'm no longer in the world. Remember, he had this mindset. I've already glorified you. The hour has come. Jesus saw the cross as a finished work. And even though uh, for this, I would say, less than 24 hour period at this point, before he was put in the grave, Jesus had this mindset that he was already there. He said, I am no longer in this world, but they are in the world. Sometimes we might just want the Lord to take us out of this world. Lord, come and take us. But he prays for his disciples not to take them out of the world, but for a season they were going to remain in the world. And so he prayed for them that they would be kept by God's name, that they would be one just as Jesus and God are one. And while Jesus was with them, he kept their faith intact, all except for Judas. But now he prays that they would be kept by God's name. Romans 15, 5 and 6 says, Now may the God of patience and comfort grant you to be like-minded toward one another, according to Christ Jesus, that you may be with one mind and one mouth glorify God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, that they would be one, that they would be kept by God's name, by God's word. Because they were not of the world, verses 13 through 19. But now I have come to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. They had become so Christ-like that now not only did the world hate Jesus and about ready to put him to death, but the world in turn would also hate those who would follow Jesus. And in many ways, this has not changed in our world today. Father, I just want to close out today. We thank you for this time to be able to look into this great passage of Scripture. 
uh, the most complete prayer of Jesus given to us in the Bible in John 17. And I pray, Lord, that we would just kind of uh, meditate upon these words throughout the coming week. Help us, Lord, to know your love, to know your glory. And Lord, I just want to close by lifting up our brothers and sisters in China. For every pastor who signed this letter to their government, 344 in all, Lord, it's not just their own life. No doubt it's their families, their churches that have also been put on notice. And I pray, Lord, that we, we thank you first and foremost for their boldness. And I pray, Father, that you would be with them and strengthen them. Just because they signed the letter does not mean that persecution will lessen. It could actually increase. So, Father, we know in the pages of Scripture that oftentimes through persecution, the seed of faith grew stronger and stronger. And so, Lord, I just pray for our brothers and sisters. We don't know what's going to come of this, but we thank you for their boldness. Help us to have such boldness in our own country that we live in, we pray. In the name of Jesus, amen. Calvary Chapel is a fellowship of believers in the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Our greatest desire is to know Christ and to be conformed into His image by the power of His Holy Spirit. If you would like more information about Calvary Chapel, or if you would like a copy of today's message, please contact us at 847-265-0646, That's 847-265-0646. Thank you so much for joining us today, and may the Lord richly bless you as you worship Him today.